for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. So here we are this morning uh, looking at a supernatural church. We were really blessed by the ministry of John Hosier last week, looking at the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we're launching out now into just looking at the gifts of the Spirit. And this morning, going to be uh, looking at the subject of desiring the gifts. But I just felt as we were worshipping uh, a, a word that actually uh, John read last week was appropriate this morning as I started. And, and it was from Isaiah 44, and it says this. It says... Um, but now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and now this is called, of course is talking to the Old Testament people of God, but just hear yourselves in there as the New Testament people of God. Uh, o Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen, thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Put your name in there. As we look at the subject of the things of the Spirit, hear the words, fear not. Because if there's something that very often causes, particularly English people, trepidation, it is the things of the Spirit. And you know what English people are like? We like to play careful, don't we? We're not actually those sort of brash go out there. There are a few around, but English people generally like to play it careful. And if there's any sense of, oh, anywhere, we, we get a little bit fearful. So hear those words, fear not. O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. And I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. What mum and dad doesn't want that for their kids, eh? The blessing of God on their offspring and on their descendants. And we need to see generations, multiple generations raised up, knowing the presence and the power of God. And uh, so hear that this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're feeling like the dry and the thirsty land. You're, you're alongside somebody next to you and you're thinking, goodness, they've got more than I've got. Well, I want to tell you, God wants you to have it as well. This isn't, this isn't about special people. It's about the whole body of Christ. If you're thirsty this morning, God wants to pour uh, those rivers, uh, that rain upon you. I'll pour water on the thirsty land, streams on the dry ground, and I will pour my spirit on your offspring, my blessing on your descendants, and they shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. And this one will say, I'm the Lord's, and another will say, I call on the name of, of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. That is because you know the presence of God. That's because you not only know his presence, but you know his power. And that's wonderful, isn't it? I love, and you probably know this, I love doctrine. But you know you can have doctrine and miss God by a thousand miles. We need both word and spirit. We need the life of God in the soul of man. Quick book recommendation, if you would like to to turn something that's very helpful. Salm Storms was a cessationist. In other words, somebody who didn't believe these things happened today. Uh, but uh, ended up on a journey with God. And uh, today he is a full-blown charismatic and teaches on the baptism of spirit and the spiritual gifts. And the beginner's guide 
to Spiritual Gifts. Highly recommended. Very, very straightforward read, and you would love it. And if you've, uh, you, you may have read books in the past, it's a good refresher. Uh, just to go back to basics and to read what he has to say there. So he explores the, the nine gifts and uh, experiencing more of God's power, etc. So if you'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians and uh, chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, it doesn't take much when you read the New Testament to realize that the church of the New Testament was a dynamic church. It was a church of very ordinary people. It was before degrees crept in, as, and they may be useful, but it was before degrees, qualifications, doctors in theology and all of that kind of thing crept in. They were ordinary people. There were some uh, educated, but most of them were quite plain and ordinary. But what they all needed was the presence and power of God through the Holy Spirit. And when you look at that very ordinary bunch of people, and you look at their impact upon the world and the resulting impact generation after generation across the nations of the earth right down to our present day, it's staggering. And the important thing is knowing the presence and power of God. You may have grown up in church and you got used to things. And you go through it as ritual. And that has been some people's experience. They, they've grown up and they, they've, if you like, they've known in some ways the way of the Lord. But they've known it perhaps in a fleshly way. They've not perhaps even encountered Christ. And if they have encountered Christ, they may not have encountered the power of the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Spirit. That was my experience. I grew up in a Christian home. I knew the stuff. And one day I encountered people who had more than I did. And I looked at them and I thought, wow, you have got something. It was during my teenage years when I was beginning to question what it was all about. I looked at the Bible, and I looked at what I was experiencing, and I thought, these people are very sincere in what they believe and what they are doing, but there seems to be a big chasm between that and what I read in the Scriptures. And then I encountered others who had come into the baptism of the Spirit. I thought, wow! You've got something that I haven't got. You have, your relationship with God is, is far deeper than whatever I've ever seen. There's an intimacy there that I have never seen in those that I have known. Not that they didn't know God. Not that they didn't have some experience of God. But there was something deeper, powerful, more dynamic. And as a young person, I, I began to hunger for it. And this morning we are looking at the place of desire, desiring the gifts. And so in 1 Corinthians 14, we are going to be just be looking at that. So, but just to notice that the church is a supernatural entity. It is not like the golf club. It is not like the Rotary Club or the Lions Club or, 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 or going to play bingo. It's like none of those things. The church, us here, you and I, are called out by God. And we, we have been saved by Jesus Christ. We, he gives us the Holy Spirit to do an extraordinary thing. 
And that's the staggering thing. That God calls you and I to do more than we could ever possibly do in the flesh. That is the only reason I can stand here. And I stand here with no qualifications when I left school. I would not want to do this humanly. When I was at school, I used to shy away from those things you had to do in front of the class. Just let me work quietly behind the scenes. But you see, when you surrender your life to God, and when the Spirit comes, He takes you out of your natural self. He empowers you to go beyond who you might be in the natural. And that's the exciting thing about this business of being filled with the Spirit and about experiencing the gifts of the Spirit. It's not about how well-educated you are, how long you've been a Christian, whether you're, you're getting more and more saintly. This is, this is for the whole body of Christ. If you've just become a Christian, it's for you. If you've been on the road 10 years, it's for you. If you've been on the road for 60 years, it's for you. It's for all of us. Amen? And, and we want to be a supernatural church. We don't want to be a preach, just a preaching station. It's good to preach. It's good to expound the Word of God. But, you know, you read church history, and I love church history. And there were times when God came in such power, even through prayer meetings. There's a prayer, prayer meeting revival that took place in the United States, lasted for two years, began on a weekday, just with a handful of people, and gradually began to multiply, and the Spirit moved powerfully. You know, we, I, I'm, you know I, I've been a Christian a number of years, a fair number of years. But I'm hungry for more of God. And that is, the, that is the strange thing about the Christian life. I can have all of Christ and yet I want more of Christ. Yes? I, I, I can have the Holy Spirit and yet I want more of Him. You know, I'm satisfied and yet I'm hungry. I have to have my thirst met in Jesus and through the power of the Spirit, and yet I am thirsty for more of God. Amen? Can you give me a amen? Is that you this morning? Yes. So, you know, every one of us, so we're at the importance of desire. Desire, okay. Every one of us has desires. Do you know, you wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't have an ounce of desire in you. In fact, you would be laying in a box buried under the ground. Okay, you would be dead. Life consists of desire. Life is all about desire. Uh, they're important to life. Without them, we would die. To desire is to, to live. It's to crave. It's to hunger. It's to thirst. It's to, to go and to buy. It's to eat and to drink. We, we long for and so we seek and we obtain. It's, it's what moves us and causes us to, to change our car, to upgrade our computer, to seek to advance in our education, to go for another job. Desire is part of our lives. A man or a woman without desire is a dead man or woman, even though perhaps they may even be living. And there are some people for whom that may be the case. They're lost. They're broken. And desire is just merely a, a pitiful existence from one day to the next. But nevertheless, there is a sense of desire in each and every one of us. We have desires because we were made that way. We, we desire many things, but sadly fallen humanity twists desire into self-serving, ungodly lusts. That, 
then lead us to identity crises, satisfaction in the wrong places, substance abuse, the abuse of others, and you could go on and on. You've only got to look out there, watch the news, read the papers. Ungodly lusts are distortions of the desires that God has created us with. That's helpful to remember that. And as such, they, they, are, they become poison in our souls. All of us desire in some way or another, but it's where and how the desire is fulfilled that is the big question. What desires do you have this morning? What desires? Romans 13, verses 13 to 14 say, it says this. It says, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify or to satisfy its desires. So every one of us, in some way or other, throughout Every day and every hour of the day is working with the fact that we desire in some way. So desire can be towards God or it can be uh, in some way an ungodly desire that will take us in the other direction. We all live with desires and it's what we do with those desires that count. Secondly, as in the natural, so in the spiritual. As there are natural desires, so there are spiritual desires. And they are essential to our spiritual lives. And they likewise can be misused and corrupted. There is, within every human being, the need for God. Someone said that within every human there is a a God-shaped void that only God can fill. There is somehow that desire to worship. And so we see it expressed in different ways, whether it might be at a football match, whether it might be going to see some famous performer, people who excel at what they're doing and to whom we feel in some way we can give applause, we can give worship. There is that which is in the, within the heart of man that cries out to encounter and to give to somebody greater than himself worship. That is an expression of the the void in us that God made uh, for himself. We were made to know and be satisfied in God. Augustine said it this way, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. Let me ask you this morning, because that's, that's first base. That's where we become Christians. Have you found that rest in God? Or are you still looking here, there and everywhere? Trying to find something that will satisfy your soul. You try this, you try that, you try the other. And for some little while it, it satisfies. But you see the reason it doesn't wholly satisfy is because God is the one who can only wholly satisfy us. Yeah? Do you know him this morning? Is he your saviour? Have you encountered Jesus Christ? Have you encountered God as your Father who is in heaven? If you haven't, he's here this morning. And he's, he's here drawing you to himself. You can feel the Holy Spirit just tugging at your heart. Just drawing you and he's saying, I love you. My son died for you, paid for your sin. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are laden. Heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and lay down that burden of sin. Come and receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
And so that's, that's the, the innate desire of every human, to know God and to worship Him. And then within that is the, the aspect of prayer. And I, I love what um, Ian Bounds says here. He says, in the realm of spiritual affairs, it's an important adjunct to prayer. So important is it that one might say almost that desire is an absolute essential uh, of prayer. Desire precedes prayer. It accompanies it. It's it's followed by it. Desire goes before prayer and by it created and intensified. Brothers and sisters, if you are lacking in the area of prayer, stir up desire. Stir up desire. Go to God. If it's a problem and say, God, I don't feel like doing this. God can handle that. Go to God and say, I don't feel like doing this. I don't have desire in my heart even to come to you and pray. The deeper the desire, he says, the stronger the prayer. Without desire, prayer is meaningless mumble of words and such perfunctory formal praying with no heart, no feeling, no real desire accompanying it is to be shunned like a pestilence. Its exercise is a waste of precious time, and from it no real blessing comes. God save us from that kind of praying. God give us passion for the secret place. God give us a hunger to be together with others to pray. Because there is power in prayer. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes people. It brings salvation. It brings deliverance. It brings healing. It brings the heart of God. There's an old hymn we used to sing years ago by James Montgomery, and it says this, Prayer is the soul's sincere desire, uttered or unexpressed, the motion of a hidden fire that burns within the breast. If that fire, that flame is weak, the best thing you can do is get into the presence of God where he will fan it into flame. To get somebody else to pray with you, alongside you, and say, come, pray with me. This is important. I want to stir up that passion, that desire once again. The early church was a praying church. The spirit-baptized church was a praying church. The spirit-filled church was a praying church. And then again under this, the word. There, was, there is desire for the word. It is food for our souls. Jesus said, quoting the Old Testament, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Not some bits of, word, of the word, but by every word of God. How precious is this to you? You see, what I'm doing here is putting fuel on the fire when we get to the gifts. Putting fuel on the fire when we get to the gifts. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. If we are to be a spirit-filled church, a church exercising the gifts of the Spirit, we need to be drinking deeply of God's Word. This is our foundation. This is, this is our rule of faith. This is where we test things when God speaks. 1 Peter says this in 2.2, Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow. 
Do you want to grow as a Christian? Then pray. Do you want to grow as a Christian? Then be in God's Word. Read it. Devour it. Saturate yourself in it. And then again, under this righteousness, Matthew 5, verse 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The importance, again, for for seeing change in our lives is that hungering, thirsting, God, I don't want to stay as I am. I want your righteousness worked out in me. So the hungering and the thirsting is so appropriate there as well. Do you have that dissatisfaction and desire with your present life? There's a sense in which we can be satisfied in Christ, but there's a sense in which I'm always feeling, God, change me. Paul's great passion for the church was that Christ be formed in you. Just imagine what, what, what the church could do if those who are members of its body were being formed into the likeness of Christ. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. And, and John Hosier reminded, he was sharing with the preachers last Sunday afternoon, and he, he spoke about the scripture where it says, you, you are members or parts of. Parts of is a better word, uh, because members sounds like a club. But we are parts of a body. And then he says, and so it is with Christ. He doesn't say, so it is with you. He says, with Christ. In other words, he's saying, the body is Christ. On earth. Because that's where the text stops, quite abruptly. So it is with Christ. And you are Christ. You are Christ's body. And so he wants to be formed within us. People should be able to look at us and see a difference. For God, Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the, for the living God. Where can I go and meet God? It might be that as a Christian, you, you've reached a dead end. You, you, you've been running on empty for a long time. You saw the red bit, it entered the red of the gauge and, and now it, you've gone past the fumes and you, you've reached that point and what do I do? Brothers and sisters, if that's you this morning, the best place is to hunger and thirst for God. Yes. Get into the presence of God. God, I need you in this situation. I've run out of gas. I need you, O oh God. Psalm 37 verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight is an outworking of desire. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so we we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and we're going to move through this quite quickly um, because we do want to give some time at the end. But in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's spoken to the Corinthians about spiritual gifts. So we're looking here at desiring spiritual gifts and manifestations of the Spirit. And he says to the church there, he says, you're, you're not lacking anything. And yet this church was a right mess. So it's not about being a perfect church. Okay? It's not about being a perfect person. God gives gifts because of he, he is gracious. And he loves to give them. Hallelujah. And he speaks of the variety and purpose of those gifts in chapter 12, verses 4 to 11. And he talks about how that they are a manifestation of the Spirit. They're not individual things that they give to us. They are God himself manifest among us. 
They are. They are. That's why it refers to it as a manifestation of the Spirit. Yeah, so th- this morning, when we get prophetic words, that is a manifestation of the Spirit. That's not a little bit of something that God is giving to somebody. It is God himself coming to us through those people. Wow. That, that, I mean, that, that's powerful. That gifts are not something that God up there gives to us down here. They're God present and active in our midst by His Spirit. They are, as someone has said, the public face of God. <laughs> I love that. They are the public face of God. You want to know where God is? You want to see God? Just watch what He's doing. Yeah, through whomever He is doing it and rejoice in it. And so He says to them in, in, in chapter 4, chapter 14, says, Pursue love and desire the spiritual gifts or spiritual gifts. So, he says, earnestly desire, at the end, in, in um, chapter, sorry, chapter 12, verse, um, running ahead of myself here, chapter 12, verse 31, earnestly desire the greater gifts. That's not that some are greater than others. Probably better to translate that. Desire those that are going to be most helpful at this time. Okay? He's not creating a hierarchy of gifts. So he says, desire the greater or the most beneficial, the most helpful of gifts. So he's saying that, church, this is who you are, the body of Christ. This is what God is doing, giving the Holy Spirit. He manifests himself. The way he manifests himself is through that body. Church, desire what is most beneficial. Desire to be in the place of of, of use by the Spirit of God to bring those gifts. In chapter 13, he speaks about the love of God, the importance for any ministry to be grounded in and flow out of love before reconnecting with the subject of the gifts in chapter 14, verse 1, where he starts that chapter by saying, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Now, some people will say, well, I'm going to pursue the love because the gifts are a little bit risky. I'm not sure about those. I'll leave those to the, the more extrovert people. That is not what he's saying. He's not even saying that love is higher than the gifts. He's saying that actually this is the best way for gifts to function. And uh, so that is what what he's simply saying there. He's just saying, look, you can do it out of the wrong spirit, out of an unloving spirit, and that's not helpful. So, seek, and it's interesting because it's an active word, it is our job to pursue love. To pursue it. I don't always feel like loving yeah? Anybody else feel like that? Please identify with me. Otherwise, I'm going to feel very low in here. Okay? I don't always feel like loving. Love in Scripture is a command, and it also says we should pursue it. Follow the way of love. That, that is a, an active thing that we choose to do uh, with our minds. So pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And then again, he says, I'd like you all to speak in tongues. So there he's speaking of his own desire for the church. I'd like you all to be able to do this, but even more that you will prophesy. So we see something of Paul's desire. And in verse 39 of of chapter 14, he reiterates the importance of desire by saying again, earnestly desire to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues. The, the Greek carries with it this idea of, of being eager, of being zealous, of being, brothers and sisters, ambitious. Amen. There is a sense of ambition involved in this. 
It's not selfish, it's ambition. It's ambition for the purposes of God. Ambition for the purposes of God, to go after zealously. Brothers and sisters, when we look at the gifts, and we're going to be going through them over the next few weeks, the call is not to sit back and say, oh, that was a lovely message. I just pray a few people got it. It's for every one of us to be pursuing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay? To go after them zealously. That's what God is saying to every one of us in this room. I want you, 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 every one of you to be pursuing love and going after the gifts. That's God's heart for every one of the church. doesn't matter how weak we feel, how inadequate, God is bigger than who we are. Hallelujah. Wonderful. So, note that, that neither love nor gifts come automatically. God distributes them as he wills, and yet, and yet, he calls us to activity. There's, there's no basis for passivity here, or indifference. The call is to action. The call is to action. You know, there's a false idea around that if God wants me to have the gifts, he'll just give them to me. That's not true. This is where we get a little bit muddled up at times and we want to put all things in nice, neat and tidy boxes. God's sovereign, so he gives the gifts. But then it says, ask and you shall receive, seek and pursue and all of those kinds of things. And that, well, you've just got to deal with that. You know, okay. So, he loves to give them. Okay, so we run in towards the end here. Stirring up desire. One of the reasons we, we lack desire for God, prayer, the word, spiritual gifts is that we are too easily satisfied by the paltry offerings of this world. And also because we're too sure of our own ability. Do do, do you hear that? Do you hear that? Because that is important. One of the reasons reasons we, we lack desire for God, prayer, the word, spiritual gifts, is that we are too easily satisfied by the paltry offerings of this world. And secondly... We're too sure of our own ability. Because my lack of ability that casts me back on God. Every time I preach, I sit there and I say, God, you've got to help me. There's part of me that doesn't want to do it. God, you've got to anoint me. Because if I I can't do this unless you anoint me. Unless I have your enabling. But we are too easily satisfied by the paltry offerings of this world that quench the desire of God. It's too easy to turn on the television and leave it running, isn't it? It's too easy to look at all sorts of other things and they, they kind of... That's why we feel dissatisfied at the end of it. Because we're not going where we need to go. That's not saying watching telly is wrong or reading books is wrong. Please hear me. So, stirring up desire. One of the ways we can stir up desire is to look at the need around us and realise how big it is. Secondly, to realise our inability to meet that need. Thirdly, to realise that God wants to use you, wants to use me. To bring something of the love and purpose of God into that person's life. Another way is to, to read the menu. How many of you love reading restaurant menus? Oh, there's a, I thought there might be a whole lot more than that. 
You know, when you read a menu, you, you start going through the courses, you start, something starts happening in your mouth, doesn't it? I, I, can, I can feel it even now. My, 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 the juices are beginning to go as I think about various possibilities. And especially when I get, for those who know me very well, especially, and I haven't put it up there, especially when I get to the dessert. You know, that is when I really go hyper on it. You know, I just salivate. And it makes me hungry. And you're now getting ready for Sunday lunch, aren't you, in your brain? But we aren't there yet. Okay. But, you know, read the menu. Go and read the menu. It's here. Go and read about, read the Gospels. Read the Acts of the Apostles. See what happens when God is at work. Read the menu and start salivating. Get into the Word of God. Understand how important the gifts are. They're not toys. They're not for a few special people or the specially devoted, but they are for the empowerment of us all, for the whole body of Christ. And pray. Pray. Get into the presence of God and pray. And then, you know, passion and persistence. I'm going to stop here. I've got a few other points there. But passion and persistence are so important. We want to spend time in the presence of God. Would you stand and maybe the band can come out. And, and um, I, just, I just want to finish with a story that I, I've just found so challenging. I mentioned it the other week. But I do think it is so appropriate here. And that's the story in 2 Kings chapter 13. Where Elisha is dying and where King Jehoash or Joash, depends how you read the version, comes to him. And he's concerned about the Syrians. And he says, pick up the bow and arrow, open the window. And he puts his hand on on Jehoash. That's symbolizing the anointing of God. And he puts his hand on his hands. And the bow is pulled back. And the arrow is fired through the window. And Elisha suddenly speaks the word of God into his life and into his situation. And he says, you will have victory over the Syrians. And you think, wow, that's tremendous, isn't it? It's great. And then he says to him, he says, pick up uh, the remaining arrows. He says, pick those arrows up. Now beat them on the ground. And the king picks the arrows up and he, he beats one. And he beats two. And he beats three. And Elisha is angry with him. And he said, why did you do it only three times? He said, you should have done it six or seven times. Then your, your victory would have been absolutely thorough. And God spoke to me through that scripture uh, about the passion and purpose that we need. Brothers and sisters, some of us have, have just been content with banging the ground three times. One, two, three. We've just been content. To, uh, and we've said, that's it. That's it for what God wants for me. Brothers and sisters, I want to say this morning, it's not. God has a whole lot more for each one of us. He has a whole lot more for us as a church. And he wants us together to be beating those arrows on the ground until God says he's coming, he's coming, and he's going to do it. So we don't give up. We don't have a half victory. We have a whole victory. We don't have bits of blessing. We have tremendous overflow of the blessing of God. So let's just come and worship and wait on him and stir up those gifts within us, shall we?